Hello, my friends. Welcome again to the DDP. I'm Paul White. It's the second day of May, and we are continuing our journey in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Just as Jesus and his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, come down the mountain uh, from transfiguration into the next scene, we come down that mountain with them. In our reading today, we ended yesterday by reading the ninth verse. Let's begin there. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. And this charging them to tell no one is not a first-time event. Of course, we've seen this happening all the way back beginning in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus is casting out devils and he will tell the people who are delivered, don't tell anyone. And there seems to be, this is actually a recurring theme. It'll happen again. Or no, I'm sorry, it just happened again in the, the eighth chapter whenever Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ. And Jesus says in, in Mark 8.30, for them to tell no one. He, he, one translation says he strictly charged them to tell no one. And I think we made the comment at the time that this is so odd considering how we think of evangelism, which is go tell people, go tell people. Um, but we need to understand that it's a timing thing. And this is also another example of how not every word that Jesus says is for us in our context. Now, I am not a proponent of the school of thought that Jesus spoke strictly to an old covenant world and therefore his instructions were not for us under the new covenant. I do not believe that. I do believe he is speaking into an old covenant world, but he's speaking the constitution of the new kingdom. And therefore, citizens of the kingdom, like you and me, should pay attention to what our king says that our kingdom should look like. So when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount and says, turn the other cheek, that's the constitution of a new kingdom. That is not the constitution of an old kingdom. So in reality, you should pay close attention to the words of Jesus. Even though he is speaking in an old covenant world, he is the walking new covenant. So pay attention. With that said, I also believe that you should realize that Jesus says some things contextually. For instance, when he strictly charges them to tell no one about him, he's not strictly charging you to tell no one about him. He's doing it because at that period in his ministry, it was not time for the full revelation of who he was. And Jesus knows that if he becomes, if it all becomes about the miraculous or the healing, they, those are the very things that might keep him from fulfilling his actual purpose on the earth, which is to step into the death of humanity and resurrect as a new Adam on the earth. At one point, he feeds the 5,000, and the crowd comes back the next day to make him king, and Jesus flees from it. Well, is Jesus king now? Of course he is. Was Jesus ready to be king then? No, certainly not in the way they wanted him. So there are contextual things. For instance, the 10 lepers. Jesus heals 10 lepers, nine of them, uh, one of them comes back, but nine of them don't, and Jesus tells them all before they leave, go show yourself to the priests for the cleansing ordered by Moses. Well, if you get healed today, do you need to go show yourself to the priest to be cleansed by Moses? Well, the answer is no. So I, I say all of that because charging them to tell no one is a contextual statement. You and I are charged to tell people. 
not charged not to tell people. So he charged them to tell no one. Verse 10, they kept the matter to themselves, which is what they're supposed to do, questioning what this rising from the dead would mean. Um, Now, first of all, Jesus told them don't tell until the Son of Man had risen, which means Jesus is telling them he's going to rise, which is interesting because they don't really believe that. And let me show you why they don't believe that. It's because the question they have in their heart is, what does rising from the dead mean? Well, it seems really obvious to us. On the other side of Christ's resurrection, if Jesus says, I'm going to resurrect from the dead, what questions are you needing to ask? Well, they're asking them because the Jewish expectation was not universal in regards to resurrection. Many Jews didn't even believe in a resurrection. That's the whole Sadducees camp. But for those that did believe in a resurrection, it was almost universal that they expected it to be a general resurrection at the end of whatever this is, at the last day. They did not expect individual resurrection in the middle of history. So whenever Jesus says he's going to raise up, they're confused because raising from the dead is something that happens at the end not something that happens at Jesus' end. here's, Here's a better way to say that. We can say it this way. Resurrection is something that happens at the beginning. Now, that would have blown their minds. But the truth, and, and they'll get that later because that's how they preach in the New Testament, is they realize Peter would, would spin that after Pentecost and say that Jesus was undergoing the birth pains of death. In other words... By dying, he was birthing something new. That's what the resurrection became to them. But their first question is what this rising from the dead might mean because they don't see it the way that you and I might see it. That leads to this in verse 11. They asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And Jesus said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you, that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Uh, okay. Um, mm, there's a lot to say here. I don't really think it's fair for me to cram the next, I don't know, minute and a half, two minutes, because I try to keep these pods to where you can expect to have a certain amount of time with us so that we don't abuse that. And I do abuse it once in a while, but I always give you a heads up. Like, it's going to be a long one, long form Friday, long essay, blah, blah, blah. But on a typical day, I try to keep it between here and eight and a half minutes or so. There's no way I can do the justice to this, this part about Elijah coming in a, in a short one. So here's what tomorrow is going to be trying to answer the question, why did the scribe say that first Elijah must come? And we'll use Jesus' answer that he will come and that he has come. And we're going to look at what that means on tomorrow's podcast. So I apologize for cutting it maybe a minute or so short today. Just know that there's no way to do it right. So we'll try to do it right with a whole podcast. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless.